In verse 7 it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. You know, when I first went to work building houses out in Washington, I I knew nothing. Every crew had a crew leader, a second man, and a laborer. And I was a laborer, which just meant I was the board carrier. There's two or three piles of lumber out on the, on the street, out in front of where the house was going to be, and I was going to carry all of it. The crew leader was the guy that outlined the job. He was in charge. And he was the one that read the blueprints. He's the one that set the work for the day. He's the one that laid out the walls so that you knew where to put what boards and where to nail them together. The second man was the one that uh, he and the crew leader both we're nailing things together. So it was my job to haul all the wood up there, put it in place, and they'd nail it together. I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed building houses, and I still like it. Moved up quickly. I learned fast. Uh, because I liked it so much, I'd talk to the crew leader, and he would let me take the blueprints home with me at night. And so I could, at first, try to make heads or tails of the thing and learning what the different pages were about. And I learned how to read blueprints pretty quickly and, and early that way. I worked for a guy that was a very nice guy within the company, and uh, he was always patting me on the back. He got me raises pretty quickly. He just thought I was doing a great job, and I enjoyed working for him very much. Well, he ended up going and starting his own company, and I got put with another crew. But by this time, I had moved up. I was no longer a laborer. I was only that for a few months, and then I moved up to being a second man. And when I went to work for this other guy, this guy, well, I would say this. He wasn't nearly as nice as the first guy, but he was quite a bit more knowledgeable. And so there was a lot that I would learn from this guy in the area of carpentry and construction, but it would come at a price of some humiliation along the way as, as he would verbally abuse me sometimes when I wasn't doing things right. And you know what? I, like I said, I had moved up really fast, and so maybe I was ahead of where I should have been too. Anyway, I would be focusing on building my little part of whatever we were doing and thinking I'm doing a good job because that's how I did it for the last guy. And then all of a sudden this guy would come over and start yelling and get upset with me about what was going on. And I would just be like, oh, man, you know, it was very frustrating. And I remember one day the owner of the company came out to the job that I was at and he took me off to the side and he says, Greg, this is what I want to do. I want to take you and I want to move you back to laborer for a little bit. He said, there's two reasons for that. He says, one is we need some more crew leaders and we got these guys that are applying and I'm not sure if they're ready to be a crew leader yet. So I want to run them through your guys' crew as a second man so that our, your crew leader can tell if they're ready to be crew leaders or not. 
He said, but the other thing is, he says, I think this will be really good for you. He says, if I step you back down to what you do very well, he says, you're going to get a different perspective as you watch and you see how the whole crew functions, not just your little part. And he says, I think this will be good for you. He said, I'm not touching your money. You can keep the same salary and everything. I'm not going to demote you in any way there. And it's going to be short-lived, but I want you to do this. And I was a little bit, I was kind of bummed. At the same time that I recognized that, yeah, they do need to run some crew leaders through. So there was that part of it too. But, but I, it still was a demotion, you know. It, it meant that I wasn't doing quite as well as I thought I had been doing originally with the other guy and that kind of thing. And so it was a step back. But you know what? I found that in all the different things I've learned or experienced in construction throughout my lifetime, that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I was able to step back and kind of get a bigger picture and watch and see what the crew leader was doing as he had the second man doing this and he had me doing this. And, and I just got a much deeper understanding of what was going on around me than I had had previously. And it took out a lot of the, the confusion, a lot of the frustration, gave me so much more insight into how the jobs worked and what needed to happen next and why it needed to happen next. What started out discouraging ended up being a huge blessing in my life. And I would end up learning a lot from that contractor. We did. We ran a couple crew leaders through, and that didn't work out so good. In fact, I remember I had to teach one of them how to square a wall. Not a good sign. And uh, so we didn't get too many crew leaders out of it, but my the benefit to me was huge. And part of the reason is I was able to step back and see the crew leader and his leadership abilities and what he was trying to accomplish in the big picture much more clearly, and it greatly benefited my life. Well, as we come to this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, that's what the writer's dealing with. These people are, have been at a frustrating time in their life. They'd started out doing very well in their faith. Now, not so well. They're a little bit confused. They're a little bit frustrated. And you know what he, he, he gives them in, in this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7, you know what he points them to is their leadership. As he says, look, I want you to, I want you to focus on your leader's I want you to learn what you can learn from them, be benefited by them. In fact, that's what when you get toward the end of the passage, he tells them, this is to your benefit. This is for your good. The issue of leadership in our life is an important one. We deal with it from the moment we're born because we have parents that are leaders in our life. We go through and we learn from leaders that are in educational institutions as we go to school and we continue to develop. So we have our parents and we have teachers. We have authorities within society, police officers and such. We have authorities in our workplaces as we have jobs. And even if you're self-employed, you have customers. And so there's always leadership in our life and it's not any different in the church. When God established His church and He equipped His church, He equips His church with leadership and He does it for a reason. He does it for the value that it brings to the, our individual lives. When I look back over my walk with Christ, there are pastors in my life that, that made huge differences in my life, that helped me to see things more clearly, understand things more deeply and better, and really helped me along the way. And that's exactly why God gives us leadership within the church. And that's what we want to look at here this morning is the value of leadership. Now, he does it kind of through two different ways. The first area that he deals with is our responsibility toward leadership. And then the other one's going to be leadership's responsibility toward us. Notice in verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then if we jump up to verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. 
Having leadership doesn't do any good if we rebel against it all the time or if we don't follow the leadership that we have. In verse 7, the first thing he says is remember. We need to remember them, we need to consider them, and we need to imitate them. Now each one kind of takes maybe a a new step. Remember them. He's saying, look, pay, pay attention. Recognize that God has put this leadership in your life. These people that were in the church and they were going through these struggles, some of them had their homes taken from them, these different things that we've talked about in the past. You know what, God had leaders in their life that would help them navigate these waters, that would help them be there to come alongside them and pray with them, be there to help them find solutions to their problems, be there to, to you know, sometimes we just need the big picture. Sometimes we get so caught up in the details of our problems and our situations that we can't see the big picture very clearly. And that's one of the things that our leaders help us do is to see the big picture in all these things and be reminded and be encouraged and being strengthened. But then he says, not only to remember them, he said, consider the outcome of their way of life. When I consider my pastors of the past, and I could look at their life and say, look at their life. Their life is solid. Their life is not, it's not free of troubles. But you know what? Their life is solid. They're, they're making good decisions. They're handling things right. They're not, they're not blowing up in anger when, when something goes wrong. They're, they're, they're dealing with things well. And that's what he's saying. Look, consider your leaders and the outcome of their life because the point of that is what? That, that, that's what I want in my life. And then he says the next level of that is he says imitate that. Follow it. The Apostle Paul would tell the believers, he would tell them, follow me as I follow Christ. And you know what? That's what we're supposed to do within the church. It's just like when I think about it about everywhere else. It's the same thing that I did in the construction industry. When I first started to work in the construction industry, I followed the leader. I did what my foreman told me to do. I, and you just imitate. You just do what they do. And so much of that is how we, it's how we learn. I was joking with uh, Leah the other day about justice. Justice is uh, just learning how to talk. You know, and all of a sudden it seems like he's clear. You can understand him. A couple weeks ago... He was kind of mumbling everything, and everything wasn't overly clear. And then uh, they go to Thanksgiving with the other side of the family, comes back, and all of a sudden he says, Hey, Grandma. And it's like, What? <laughs> He's clear. And I said, You know what it is? It's Thanksgiving with all those girl cousins he had that have been talking his ears off the whole time he was there. Now all of a sudden he's speaking clearly. What's he doing? He's imitating. He's just imitating what he's seeing. That's a large part of how we learn. And that's what we're told to do. And then it says to obey. When we get off track, that's one of the purposes of leadership. You know, it's not a very pleasant time. There's been a few times over the years where I've had to come alongside of people and say, you know what, look at what you're doing. It's really not right. We need to, we need to stop this. We need to, we need to turn a corner here. We need to get going a different direction. It's not, never a comfortable thing. I never enter anything like that without scouring the Word of God and praying like crazy before, before doing it. it. It's a time of great potential, though, too find that there's usually one of two responses. Either they turn their life around or they walk away altogether. When they turn around and they walk away, that's a sad time. But that doesn't mean they're gone forever yet either. There's still time. They might come back. But you know what? When they turn around, that is the most joyous experience. That is just an awesome thing. And I think about that latter part of this passage where it talks about the leaders being able to do it with joy. When you see people respond to the truth of the Word of God and you see people's lives change and get on track and go the right direction. and It's just an awesome, awesome thing. But you know what? That It does say obey. We're to obey, submit. It says also in verse 17 there to our leadership because there are times when leadership carries some authority. Carries some authority, the authority of the Word of God. And when we're confronted by our leadership, says, look, you need to stop doing this or you need to go this direction instead. We need to submit. 
We need to follow in those, in those times. We have our responsibility to our leaders, but we see also the responsibility of the leaders to the people within this passage as well. In uh, verse 7, where it talks about your, our responsibility to our leadership, and then it makes this statement, those who spoke to you the word of God. And that's the thing, the first responsibility of us as leaders within the church is to teach. If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, which is dealing with the making of the church, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So he starts off by listing these different groups of people, and some of them are foundational to the church, and some of them are continuous in the church. For example, the apostles and prophets seem to be foundational gifts for the church that had a short longevity. And then the evangelists, which our understanding of an evangelist, if you think missionary is actually a better understanding of that word than, than what our concept of an evangelist is. But missionary and then pastors and teachers with a conjunction in between them seems to be talking. The two things are describing the same person. The shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers are describing one, one individual. Why have we been given leadership to the church? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, notice who conducts the work of the ministry is actually the saints. The pastors equip the saints. The shepherds equip the saints. It's my job to build you so that you can minister, so that you can reach out to your friends, to your family, to the community in which we live. And obviously it's my responsibility to reach out as also. But a big part of my focus as a pastor is, is you, equipping you, building you, strengthening you, teaching you. And so that we all can reach out as a functioning body of Christ with our gifts and abilities and knowledge and reach out to the world around us. It says, For the building up of the body of Christ till we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so he says the leadership is put in place to teach sound doctrine, sound truth, so that we all come to the point where we're functioning as one body and we achieve this maturity in the faith. And then it says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And that's kind of one of the marks of maturity. As we grow more mature in our faith, then what happens? All these new ideas or these new doctrines or these false doctrines that come along our path because we're more rooted in a good understanding of God's Word, they don't affect us so much. You know, I remember when I was a new believer, and somebody would make a statement, man, if it had a Bible verse attached to it, it really got me thinking. But you know what I found is a lot of times people attach Bible verses to things in a very wrong way. Take something out of its context, make it say something it's not really saying. And so I found that as I grew more mature in my faith, that a lot of these new ideas that sound exciting and stuff like that at the moment really lack any scriptural authority. And it's through time of learning and being taught that I was strengthened and become more mature in my faith, more solid in my understanding of the Word of God, and more committed in my relationship to Jesus Christ. He describes these leaders of the people as those who have spoken to you the Word of God. And that's also where the authority for teachers comes from. Coming down the pike within Christianity, you're going to have True teachers of the Word of God, you know, there's going to be false teachers out there too. And we have to be able to differentiate between the two. And that's why he puts that qualifier in there. He says, you need to remember your teachers who spoke to you the Word of God. And then look at verse 8. From verse 8 on for quite a ways, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, 
which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, but the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And then it goes, verse 17, obey your leaders. Here's the interesting part to me. It starts off, verse 7, tell you, look, remember your leaders that spoke to you the word of God. Right? Consider their outcome of their life. Imitate them. And then it goes into Jesus Christ. The same. Yesterday, today, forever. It goes into our understanding about Jesus Christ and what he does in our life. And it goes into an understanding of how some of these things, some truths about him and how it applies to life. And at first, reading through that, you think, okay, he's moved on. He talked about obeying your leaders. And now he's moved on to other issues. But then in verse 17, all of a sudden we're back to leaders again. Why is that? Here's what I would say. I would say he's never left it. It's still the same subject all the way through. What he tells them to do is listen to their leaders, listen to their leaders at the front and the back, and then in the middle he deals with some situations that they are struggling with at the time that they need some help with. He starts out with a statement about Jesus Christ, and he starts to teach them. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He starts to lay that foundation of an understanding. And he talks about the altar. He said, we worship at an altar that they they have no right to eat at. What is he talking about? He's saying, look, they are going to the temple still. They're still offering sacrifices. They still have the priesthood. They're still in that old covenant. But Jesus Christ has come and set us free from that old covenant, given us a new covenant, a better covenant, where He's our high priest and He's our sacrifice. He fulfills all the old covenant stuff. And so now we have the new covenant in Him. And He's saying as long as they're stuck in the old covenant, they can't participate in the new covenant. You have to let go of that to to enter into its fulfillment here. And then he goes on to how that's going to shape our life. Different things that we should participate in and being generous to one another and, and those different kinds of things. And so you see what he's doing is, he's saying, look, listen to your leaders. They're going to help you to understand the firmness of Jesus Christ, that he's immutable, he's unchangeable. They're going to help you to understand this new covenant relationship. They're going to, and then how those things get fleshed out in our life between verses 7 and 17. He deals with their understanding of Jesus Christ and even the place of food. Just notice what it says. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You know what happens when we get outside of sound biblical teaching? is we tend to get uh, drift toward legalism and we drift toward things that aren't scriptural, that don't make much sense. One of the problems that they had in the early church was this drifting toward asceticism, where they look at denying yourself, denying yourself. We talked about it a little bit last week with the sexual relationships and uh, people denying themselves that marriage relationship, thinking it made them more holy or closer to God. Same thing with food. They would deny themselves foods that were appealing to them thinking that they were getting some kind of extra holiness in that sense. 
In fact, in Colossians, in chapter 2, he points that out to the Colossian church. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's one of the points that we see him deal with in the early church throughout the New Testament is that people would take denying themselves, denying these foods, denying these different things, and think that they are becoming more holy because of it. On the outside, it looks like there's a wisdom there. It looks like you're becoming some holy person. It looks like you're, you're ultra committed to God. It has an appeal to it. He said, but you know what? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't have the power to actually keep you from sinning for those temptations. It's not in seeing all the things that you can deny, seeing how much you can make yourself suffer. It's about in drawing near to Christ and holding to Christ. We need to be benefited in grace, not our diets, not these physical ailments. And so he uses that teaching moment with these people with a struggle that they were going through at the time. But the point is, consider your leaders. They're going to help you deal with these issues. And what do they deal with? To start with, he deals with doctrine. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. He deals with the teaching about the foods and grace and that kind of thing. And he says, look, we have an altar in our new covenant. We get to participate in an altar. We get to participate in access to God that the people in the old tabernacle don't have any hold to. So that's all doctrinal understanding about Christ and our relationship to God. But then he goes from there to our level of commitment. And he says, continuing with the tabernacle, he says, look at the tabernacle. Some of the sacrifices that the priests would offer, they got to eat afterwards. That was part of how the priests were provided for. But on the Day of Atonement, those sacrifices, the priests didn't get to eat. Those sacrifices, they would bleed the animals, sprinkle the blood on the altar, take the animals outside of the city limits, and they would burn the bodies out there. And so using that same imagery, he points to Jesus Christ. And he says, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also suffered outside the gate. Just like those animals were taken outside and burned. He says Jesus Christ also was taken outside. And remember, that's exactly what happened. They put the cross on Him and He went down the Via Dolorosa and He went up onto Mount Calvary, onto Golgotha, and there they crucified Him outside of the city. Let us then also go to Him outside the gate. You see, the point is, these people have been experiencing that. They've been being thrown outside the city. They've been being cast out of. They've been separated from by the Jewish people, their their friends, their family members even. They've been being separated from. They're getting cast out of their Judaism because they have the Messiah. And he's saying, look, we need to be committed. We need to trust. We need to be, you need to be encouraged to be willing to be thrown out. Be willing to be on the outside of the nation of Israel because then you're on the inside with God. That's what your leadership's going to help you do. Your leadership's going to teach you those doctrinal things about the covenant of Jesus Christ. Make sure you have a firm understanding. Your leadership's also going to encourage you to be committed, to be willing to suffer loss for the sake of Christ. We get that encouragement from them. Well, we also see that we're to model. Obviously, if we're going to imitate, we've got to have a model to imitate. That's why when we talked about uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications for a pastor, for leadership within the church, another qualifications for deacons, is because you've got to have people that are, that are worth following. You've got to have good examples that are there for them to, to follow. 
First Peter chapter 5 talks about the relationship of the pastor to the church, and he uses that as a, a big part of their influence. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That can be a struggle is knowing where you know where to interject yourself and where not to. You know, because even when you approach somebody about something wrong that they're doing, the fact of the matter is you're kind of stepping into their life. You're stepping into their business and you're saying and you're saying, look, you need to think about some things. Now if you're in a position of leadership, you're in a position where you're supposed to step into people's business at times. But you know what that, that doesn't mean all their business is my business. And so I always try to be careful that I don't want to overstep my bounds and I don't want to overstep, I don't want to take uh, authority onto myself that I don't have. And I think that's what Peter's warning him about a little bit here. He says, look, not domineering over them. You're not not the master of their life. Their life is not yours. But on the opposite side, he says, but lead by example. Give them something to follow. doesn't mean they always got to meddle in their business as much as you just need to be that example and, and, and let them follow you. Well, not only are we to model, but it says to watch. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so the responsibility of leadership is to keep watch. They're concerned. And I would just like you to know that if I ever if I ever come into your life and say, you know what, you really need to question something, or I think you're heading in a bad direction, uh, you know, if, you, if if you're going to take offense at that, at least just know this: I wouldn't do it if I didn't care for it. In fact, it, took, it takes a pretty good deal of care to get me to do that, because it's not a fun time. It's I'm not there because I'm having a great time, and I'm not there because I want to I want to run your life either. But you know what? Sometimes we got to care enough to do the hard things. And sometimes we've got to care enough to make the tough visits. And, and for a pastor, for leadership of the church to do that, you know that you might be doing something, that you might just be pushing that person right out the door when you do it. So you don't do it lightly. And that's, but that's the thing. It's, it's, it's worth doing. We're watching over your souls. So this is important business. You know, I remember with, with my kids, when my, when my kids were growing up, and there was times where, I was, you know, we were kind of locking horns or something about something they wanted to do and I didn't want them to do or vice versa, whatever the case may be. I don't have a specific in mind. But I know there were on a few occasions when I would tell my kids, look, I'm more on your side than you are right now. And, and you know, that's, that's the point. When we get going the wrong direction and somebody loves you enough to step up and try to correct you, they're more on your side than you are right then. Because it is so important, God says He's holding us accountable for it. I have to answer for you. Leadership has to hold people accountable, and leadership itself, because of that, needs to be held accountable. It's held accountable by God, and it also has to be by us. But when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 1, Timothy is being given by the Apostle Paul some guidelines for how to deal with different people in the church. And he starts off in chapter 5, verse 1, with older men. And he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So even if an older man starts to head the wrong direction, he says, you need, to, you need to deal with that, but do it through encouragement. Be careful. 
Show him honor and respect while you do it. Encourage him like he's your father. But you know what? When we get up to chapter 5, same chapter, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And I think that's just uh, God's wisdom in that because when you are in a position of leadership, sometimes you're in volatile situations and you can't just take any one person's uh, word for things. You need some confirmation. But then in verse 20 it says, As for those who persist in sin, remember this is talking about an elder, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may stand in fear. If you're talking about an actual elder within the church and they start to sin and they're corrected for it and they persist in their sin, he says you are to rebuke that person before all. You know, I remember being in a church before where we had the pastor of the church had fallen into sin and some other leaders within the church as well too. And we had them come before the church and confess their sin to the church and, and, and ask for forgiveness. And afterwards we have people say, do they really need to be paraded in front of everybody? Absolutely. These are the leaders of the church. If they're not living up to being something that we can model our lives after, they need to be dealt with publicly. It's a public position. It's a, it becomes a public uh, sin, and it needs to be dealt with publicly. That's how important it is for our leaders to be the kind of people that we can model our lives after.